Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 116, Grading Apples 2017. I'm Neil. It's good to be back after the holidays in the new year. Welcome to 2018. One small gift that I received with the new year is a small cold. So if I sound a little bit different in this episode, that is why. I do have some mango tea here off to the side. So I do think I will be good to go. I feel a little bit better today versus earlier in the week. Today's episode is jam-packed, and so we're going to just jump right in. We are going to grade how Apple did in 2017. This is always a great time to do it when we sort of start the new year and we quickly can look back and see what are the highs, what were the lows of last year, what were the accomplishments, what were maybe the failures or the weak points. Where does Apple need to turn things around? For the next year. When you look at Apple during any given year, it seems like it's easy to just look at the problems and the mishaps. There's bound to be a lot of those for Apple. You're talking about a very large company doing a lot of things in different industries with different products. There are going to be problems. And it seems like what's been going on in recent years is a lot of people, they focus on those problems. And they kind of ignore everything else. And I don't think that's correct. I don't think that is the best way of analyzing Apple. On the other hand, we can't just look at what are viewed traditionally as positives, such as Apple updating existing products, generating a lot of cash. Those things, while good, they're sort of the bare minimum for Apple to maintain the status quo. We have to look at, well, what is Apple doing to improve its future, to improve its odds of remaining relevant in future years? So this led me to come up with a certain grading methodology for judging Apple's performance in 2017. I think there's two ways that you can judge Apple. The first is with a financial perspective. So you can base Apple's success or failure on financial metrics. We can look at margins, average selling price, unit sales, revenue. Most of that information we get directly from Apple. Every three months, you also have the annual reports. You can also take that information and come up with other data points. So very often you need an earnings model to kind of take a little bit of a, a closer look at what's going on because it's not enough just to look at four sets of data points. You need a little bit more. The other way to judge Apple is from a product perspective. So we can analyze the positives and negatives found with Apple's product strategy. What I ended up doing was I used a hybrid approach for my grading process. I think a successful product strategy will eventually manifest itself in positive financial trends. With that said, I don't think financials are going to always tell the full story. So by using both financial and product perspectives to grade Apple, I think those two schools of thought, they end up complementing each other. And the end result is an in-depth review that's fully capturing Apple's performance. Now let's turn to my report card for Apple. And the way I did this was I broke 
out Apple's performance into eight categories. We'll go through each one, and then we'll recap all of the grades at the end of the episode. The first category, and by the way, this isn't really in any particular order. It just seems like the way it worked out, I started with some of Apple's strengths. We then moved into kind of a weak point and then kind of bounced a little bit, and then we concluded with a strong point. It's just the way it ended up being. The first category is iPad. A lot happened with iPad in 2017. After a multi-year stretch of pretty steep unit sales declines, it wasn't pretty for the past few years. We also saw questionable marketing and an increasingly complicated product line. I think Apple turned things around with iPad last year. Management unveiled a number of significant strategy changes to iPad, and many of those changes we can describe as Apple trying to figure out what is the iPad's role in an increasingly mobile world. So where does the iPad sit in a world where we're giving more tasks, more jobs to smartphones, and now wearables? And I think all of these changes came together pretty nicely to give the iPad its best year since 2013. Now, of course, we still are talking about sales that are down about 40% below peak levels. But I do think we have seen iPad sales bottom out here. Now, there were signs of light at the end of the iPad tunnel in 2016. One thing that I began to notice was that sales of larger iPads, so at the time this was primarily 9.7-inch screen iPads, they continued to outperform sales of the smaller iPad mini, the 7.9-inch form factor. And it soon became clear that the iPad mini wasn't just contributing to iPad's ongoing unit sales decline. I think the iPad mini was beginning to hold the iPad back. Apple had bet on the iPad mini being the entry-level iPad. But I think people were starting to want something else. And so what Apple began doing, and this started in February 2017, was to begin to double down on larger iPads. The first thing we saw was Apple unveiled its first multi-ad campaign for iPad Pro. That was a really great campaign. The ads were noteworthy for what they told us about how management viewed iPad. Traditionally, Apple's selling point for iPad was that here's a device that's actually a computer because it has features X, Y, and Z. Hmm, Okay, wasn't too convincing though. I had a lot of issues with that. But something had changed. Apple was now saying the iPad Pro isn't a computer. Instead, iPad is better than a computer because it has features X, Y, and Z. So that difference in marketing may be a little bit subtle, but I think it really means a lot. It's a big change. A month later, Apple continued its doubling down on larger iPad form factors. The company took iPad Air 2, gave it a small update, a new name, and a $70 price cut. Apple was convinced 
that a lower cost 9.7 inch iPad, and we could go even further to say that is going to be the entry level iPad. For the first time, a 9.7 inch iPad at a price that just maybe a couple quarters ago seemed like a stretch. Well, Apple was convinced that that would entice existing iPad owners who are still on their first iPad to upgrade. Apple's changes with marketing for the iPad Pro seem to be targeting more Windows and PC users. We then jump ahead three more months, and we were at WWDC. Apple dedicated about 20% of the keynote to iPad, and we're not just talking about software, but we also had new hardware. Management announced an all-new 10.5-inch iPad Pro, which replaces the 9.7-inch model going forward. This larger iPad, which is about 20% of a larger screen, so it is pretty sizable. It supports the full-size on-screen and smart keyboards. And then, of course, you did have iOS 11, which included significant software features for iPad. Taking all of these numerous iPad changes, putting them together, I think what it did was it led to iPad sales surprising to the upside in 2017. Over at AboveAvalon.com, this week's article, titled Grading Apples 2017, includes a number of exhibits that take a look at unit sales. And the iPad unit sales exhibit is pretty striking. On a trailing 12-month basis, which just means that you're taking the past four quarters of sales and combining them, iPad unit sales have grown for the past three quarters. For the holiday quarter that just passed, in which Apple will report earnings in a couple of weeks, I think that's going to represent the fourth consecutive quarter of iPad unit sales growth when looking at it on a trailing 12-month basis. So in fact, when you take a look at iPad unit sales from the start, we go all the way back to third quarter 2010, what you'll see is that, yes, iPad sales were like a rocket over those first three to four years. Sales peaked basically at the end of 2013, right around that point. And sales then started to decline, and it started to get pretty disastrous at a point. But since the holiday season 2015, there has been a multi-year bottoming process for iPad sales. And I think that many of the changes that Apple announced to iPad in 2017, they will likely serve as a tailwind in 2018 for continued positive momentum of iPad sales. So in 2017, the milestones for iPad, I think it was the revised iPad marketing strategy, I think it was Apple becoming ultra-aggressive with 9.7-inch iPad pricing. We had Apple introduce the all-new 10.5-inch screen form factor. And we had iPad software improvements in iOS 11. But there's still some iPad issues. There are still genuine questions as to just how fast Apple is pushing iPad in order for the device to serve as a viable Mac alternative for content creators. Now that term, content creators, it's pretty broad. <laughs> and it could describe a lot of people. We're talking everyone from graphic artists all the way down to app developers. And so I think a lot of people are looking at iPad, especially when it's compared to, say, the Mac, and sort of asking themselves, my workflows, 
they're still fine with Mac. I can't quite make the jump to iPad. I need Apple to do more in this department or that department. And I think a lot of those people have valid criticism. And so this is not the time for Apple to slow down with iPad. I think more needs to be done. The other issue that I'm seeing is iPad still faces an uphill battle in education. When I'm looking at just the U.S. market, it's not pretty for iPad. And this isn't just about price, even though Apple has definitely looked to make iPad more competitive in the classroom from a price perspective. This is starting to go all the way down to how teachers and administrators are coming up with workflows that fit laptops, that fit keyboards, standardized testing, for example, that just can't be done in an iPad. So that's a longer-term concern that Apple has to address for iPad. But when you take a look at the milestones in 2017, compare them to the issues, I think Apple demonstrated the willingness to take some big risk with iPad last year. And so my overall grade is an A. It's been a while since the iPad was able to receive such a high grade. The next category is Apple Watch. I think Apple Watch had a banner year in 2017. We'll find out how Apple Watch sales did over the holidays very shortly. But my model, I think they did really well. (laughs) I think Apple sold a lot of Apple Watches for the holidays. So in my estimate... Apple sold approximately 18 million Apple Watches during 2017. That's up 70% from 2016. I think Apple Watch sales have become so strong that there is now more upside found with management disclosing unit sales rather than keeping them hidden and just providing sales clues. A lot has changed. In March 2017, Apple unveiled its spring 2017 Apple Watch band collection. I know watch bands usually receive a lot of jokes in a certain portion of the Apple community, but they're very important to Apple Watch. And I think they're, well, they're intriguing from a product perspective. But this refresh for the Apple Watch band collection, it was the first time that Apple unveiled a significant update to Apple Watch bands outside of a keynote or key presentation. I think it's a big deal. At WWDC, we had Watch OS 4. Thought it was the strongest segment during the whole presentation. We had some user interface tweaks. We had new watch faces, such as the Siri watch face, which we've talked about in the past. I'm a big fan of that. I think it's a very big deal for Apple Watch. I think it turns the Apple Watch into a completely new kind of device. What's also interesting, I'm speaking for myself, but I think a lot of people probably will agree with me here, is that as each year progresses, Apple introduces a new entry-level watch band, new watch faces. I tend to stick with the new features that Apple announces. So I started with one watch band. Now I'm on the sport loop, the watch face. I used to be with a watch face that doesn't have a lot of information. Then I went to, okay, a little bit more information on my watch face. Now the Siri watch face. I find that interesting. However, the Apple Watch highlight in 2017, it occurred in September, it was at Steve Jobs Theater, it was Apple Watch Series 3. I thought Apple Watch was the strongest segment of that presentation as well. 
And the primary reason I thought that was that it's clear Apple has found a use case specifically designed for the watch. Health tracking. And say fitness tracking. I think fitness tracking is still pretty small. But it's health tracking. That could really apply to everybody. And Apple has been successful in wrapping both product and ad marketing around this new use case. So these health tracking capabilities, such as a new heart tracking, it's really intriguing. And such moves really do help shine light on Apple's goal with Apple Watch. And that is to make this device an indispensable product for the mass market. You position it as a lifesaver, literally. Apple Watch Series 3 was a pleasant surprise when you consider that Apple added LTE connectivity without making Apple Watch that much thicker. If we go back even just to earlier 2017, very few people would have thought that was possible. And I would say if you go back to 2016, certainly 2015, and you ask, well, when do you think Apple will come out with a cellular Apple Watch? Maybe not completely independent from iPhone, but to the point where you can leave iPhone behind, go to the store, go for a run. I don't think a lot of people would have said 2017. They would have went later. They would have went 2018, 19, 2020. It takes time. Technology's not there yet. Just look at the competition. These things are too bulky. There's battery life concerns. Apple did it. And I would say that the Apple Watch Series 3 cellular launch was pretty smooth. Items such as building the antenna directly into the Apple Watch Series 3 screen, I think things like that reveal Apple's head and shoulders above the competition in the wrist wearable space. It's probably one of the key stories from 2017. So Apple Watch milestones from last year, it was launching the cellular Apple Watch. It was positioning quality over quantity when looking at watchOS 4 features. And it was introducing compelling new Apple Watch band options throughout the year. Similar to the iPad, while there were a lot of positives, there were also some issues with Apple Watch. I think Apple has plenty of work ahead of itself to improve Apple Watch adoption. According to my estimate, we're still looking at Apple Watch adoption being at less than 5% of the iPhone user base. One thing I would say about that, though, is when you start ramping some of these Apple Watch sales numbers, that adoption rate can change relatively quickly over, say, a two- to three-year period. So I would keep that in the back of my mind. But regardless of what happens in the future, as it stands now, it's still pretty low, less than 5%. In the U.S., it's a little bit higher. And there are still questions as to just how widespread third-party developers outside of the health and fitness segment can take advantage of Apple Watch in a sustainable way. I think that's another issue that kind of grew in 2017. Putting it all together and slapping a grade on Apple Watch in 2017, I went with an A+. Yes, there are obvious items that can be improved with Apple Watch, but there is just no legitimate reason to deny Apple Watch that A+. I think it deserved it in 2017. It was an all-around great year for Apple Watch. Next up, iPhone. This is where things get a little bit more complicated. There are two ways to look at the iPhone business in 2017. 
The first is through a product lens. The second is using a business lens. So first off, from a product perspective, I think the iPhone business is thriving. I use the iPhone 8, now I'm using the iPhone 10. I think those devices are successes. Each represents an improvement from its predecessor. So for example, the iPhone 8 provides a better user experience than the iPhone 7. And the iPhone 10 provides a better experience than iPhone 8. So from a product perspective, that is the goal. And I think Apple accomplished that. I think Apple met that goal. Apple continues to hit the nail on the head when it comes to iPhone marketing in terms of the camera and pushing camera enhancements each year. iPhone 10, I think it's one of Apple's significant accomplishments from a technology perspective. Removing the home button and that popular Touch ID, doing it the wrong way, it could have derailed the entire iPhone business. Instead, Apple nailed it. iPhone 10 is a big win for Apple. With that said, <laughs> this is where things get a little bit more complicated. From a business perspective, it's different. There's a growing number of concerns starting to appear with the iPhone business. In early 2016, it was clear that the iPhone's growth story was winding down. Over at AboveIsland.com, in Exhibit 3, I have iPhone unit sales going all the way back, similar to iPad and also Apple Watch. I graph the data in terms of trailing 12 months. I like that because it removes all the seasonality. It removes all the ups and downs associated with iPhone launches. And so when you look at Exhibit 3, when you look at this data, over the subsequent six quarters since the third quarter 2016, when I first said, you know, there, there's some issues here in terms of growth, I think all of my concerns have materialized. Yes, it is still possible for Apple to report stretches of iPhone unit sales growth. And we may see that when Apple reports earnings in a few weeks. However, the days of 40%, 50% growth, I think they're over. So given a number of factors, Apple is now much more dependent on iPhone upgraders to maintain unit sales. This adds more risk to the iPhone story from a business perspective, especially when you consider that the iPhone upgrade cycle, it's getting longer. People are holding on to their iPhones for longer. There is also early evidence of a portion of the iPhone user base becoming satisfied from a feature perspective with older iPhones. This is similar to what took place with the iPad business years ago. And so what this means is that you could have someone who's using an iPhone 6 or an iPhone 6S, and that product is getting all of their jobs done. It's filling all of their needs. They may like the new camera in the iPhone 10 or the iPhone 8, but they don't need that new camera. They are content with the camera that they already own. On the flip side, features like the iPhone upgrade program and the fact that Apple is still pushing very noteworthy updates where it matters, such as cameras, because still, a lot of people, they want better cameras each year. I think what that ends up doing is it sort of offsets the headwind found with a portion of the user base being content with less. So if you think of it as on a spectrum, on one hand, you have users who are saying, 
I still want iPhones every year. I like these new features. Again, we talked about how the iPhone product strategy is doing pretty well. On the other hand, you have a group of people saying, I could buy this iPhone and stick with it for a number of years. I don't need to upgrade every year. In addition, Apple continues to do very well when it comes to maintaining iPhone margins, basically, generally. There are some fluctuations, but overall, they've been maintaining it. And average selling price, which has actually gone up a little bit. That is a byproduct of Apple expanding the iPhone pricing spectrum. So you're seeing higher-priced iPhones on one end, lower-priced iPhones on the other end. It was hard to ignore some issues with the iPhone in 2017. We had what seemed like an outsized number of iOS bugs. Some were of a nuisance variety, but others were more embarrassing, and I would say even worrying for Apple. In addition, evidence is coming in that ARKit developer adoption is a little bit on the weak side. I think it's going to take some of the wind out of the augmented reality sales in the near term, although, again, we are still in the very early stages of that. And then we have Apple suffering from an iPhone crisis this past December when it was revealed that the company was slowing down CPU performance for older iPhones. Why? They're trying to avoid iPhones from shutting down due to degrading batteries. I recently took a deep dive into iPhone throttling for above Avalon members. I dedicated two full emails on the issue. There is a lot to talk about there. There are genuine issues found with it, and we're not just talking about the near term but we're also talking about long-term issues for the iPhone business. The point is, I do think this crisis, it's indicative of longer-term issues found with people holding on to their iPhones for longer. So there are significant implications attached to that. So to sum up, iPhone milestones in 2017, it was, of course, launching iPhone 8, 8 Plus, and iPhone 10. It was successfully positioning Face ID as an alternative to Touch ID on iPhone X. That's a big deal. You're going to see Apple bring Face ID to more devices over time. The issues in 2017, I think there are structural growth issues found with the iPhone business. The iPhone upgrade cycle, I think it's getting longer. Apple still doesn't have any clear strategy for boosting iPhone sales in India. The company has seemingly no intention of dropping iPhone pricing to a level that's needed for significant sales in the country. And then, of course, we have iPhone throttling. When it comes to grading the iPhone, I went with a B plus. I think the iPhone throttling crisis and all of these iOS 11 bugs, they're serious enough that I don't think we can give Apple an A, but I don't think they wipe out the legitimate successes that Apple saw with iPhone 10 in 2017. From this point, we're going to go through each category a little bit quicker. So the next up is the Mac. Oh boy, the Mac. Um, (laughs) The Mac business entered 2017 on crutches. I think most people would agree with that. Apple had just released the highly controversial MacBook Pro a few months earlier. There were a lot of questions regarding Apple's commitment to the Pro Mac user. In early 2017, we had Apple shocking the world, certainly the pro Mac user community, by convening five outside journalists for an on-the-record 90-minute briefing to talk about the Mac. Apple had changed course. It was a pivot. They were going to now work on a new modular Mac Pro and a standalone display. 
I think this decision to hold the briefing to sort of reveal its hand before a finished product was ready, it was born out of desperation. Apple tried to limit possible defections within the highly influential content creation niche. We are talking about not even just the 1% of Apple content creators. We're probably talking about the 0.1% of content creators. Fortunately for Apple, I think much of this chatter about people leaving Apple, going somewhere else, I think a lot of it's just talk. It's frustration from a lot of people. Regardless, Apple does now seem fully committed to catering to the niche. And I think that should alleviate some of the concerns held by users in that community. So I think that was a key takeaway from 2017. We also had Apple continue to demonstrate a vision for the Mac's future, even though that vision doesn't exactly please some people. I do think, though, when you take a step back and you look at the Mac, the product category is representing Apple's weak point here. There's just not enough evidence for me to change my viewpoint from early in 2017 that the Mac is becoming Apple's Achilles heel. At its core, there are genuine questions to ask regarding whether Apple should be dedicating more resources to coming up with improved alternatives to the Mac or to just bet on increasingly niche Mac models that, again, are targeting not really just 1% of the Apple user base, but 0.1%. So that's more of a longer-term issue, and that's why it becomes a little bit harder to grade the Mac in just 2017. We're pretty much left to really look at the iMac Pro. That was the new one, the new Mac desktop that Apple started to sell last month. In terms of grades, I gave the Mac a C plus, a little bit better than average. It's easy to look at something like the new MacBook Pro, which again was more of a 2016 issue, but it's, it's easy to look at that and just say the Mac's an F. It's, it was an F last year, it's an F this year. I wouldn't go that far. I think that ignores the tangible positives that Apple is making with the Mac, even though it might be difficult to see. The iMac Pro obviously being the prime example. And in addition, we do have Apple dedicating resources to pro Mac users. And I think in the near term, that's probably a positive. My concern is with the longer term and just how all of this is really going to come together. There's a lot of questions, but not a lot of answers. Next category is accessories. This is where I included AirPods, Beats, Apple TV. So despite ongoing AirPods supply issues during the first half of 2017, and even this most recent holiday quarter, I think the product had a stellar first year on the market. We're talking about Apple probably shipping as much as 12 million pairs of AirPods. That's remarkable. And this is one reason why I think Apple's wearable strategy is a key takeaway from 2017, that there is momentum here. It's genuine. We'll get more information about this in a couple of weeks when Apple reports earnings, but it's a big story for Apple. With Apple TV, I do think Apple's making progress on a number of fronts with Apple TV. The thing is, management has decided to take a very different approach to the video streaming box market, especially when you compare it to, say, the competition. Apple actually increased Apple TV pricing, which actually surprised me and surprised a lot of people. Meanwhile, the trend is a race to the bottom. 
And I think there's a story to tell there. We won't go over it at this point. But I think Apple TV is receiving a lot of hate. And I don't think all of that is necessarily deserved. At the same time, it is difficult to say that the strategy is all there, that all the pieces are there. And we're talking about a strategy as strong as Apple Watch. I don't see that. I don't think that. So we're sort of, with Apple TV, there's a lot of moving parts, and you're still kind of wondering what's going on here. And, And I think that is sort of the takeaway from 2017. So in terms of accessories, milestones, it's AirPods. I do think the Apple TV 4K, the revised Siri remote, I think that was a nice update. However, in 2017, we did have issues with Apple accessories. HomePod, for example, that launch was delayed to early 2018. And as we just got done saying, I think there's questions around Apple's approach to the TV streaming box that are genuine. I think we have to kind of take a closer look at at what are some of those answers that will not be in this episode. So overall, in terms of grades, I gave it an A minus. And the reason for that is I gave it A plus to AirPods. I think it had a great year. And so that basically offsets lower grades for Apple TV and the delayed HomePod. Next up, services. This category officially comprised of iCloud, Apple Care, Apple Pay, Apple Music, the various app and content stores. For our discussion, I'm also including Apple Maps and Siri. Overall, Apple isn't a services company. Accordingly, it is difficult to point at any one of these Apple services as being head and shoulders over the competition. I don't think that's the point. Instead, Apple's focus here continues to be found with making sure that its various services offer an all-around good customer experience. Well, how do you do that? Apple's goal involves deep integration between services and hardware. And so the result is Apple Pay on Apple Watch. I think a lot of people would say it's a great experience. Controlling Apple Music playback via Apple Watch. I really like this feature. I've been using it a lot. I use it quite a bit over the holidays. It's that type of integration that's the key for Apple services. With that said, there are still ongoing issues with Apple Maps and Siri. I think Apple Maps in the U.S., and that's the key here, in the U.S., is legitimately good. I use Apple Maps. I don't have any issues. However, I am well aware people have been very eager to tell me, and I think maybe this applies to some of you out there, I'm well aware that Apple Maps is not as good in certain countries around the world. Look at something like India, for example. It almost isn't usable. It's a problem. There's no question about it. So when you're trying to grade Apple services in 2017, it produces a little bit of a situation. How do you take into account progress being made with some of these services? Meanwhile, on the other hand, there are still legitimate concerns here with just basic usability found with something as important as maps. And so the way I sort of handle this is I gave it a B minus. And my thought process here is that maybe Apple Maps in India deserves an F. But when you look at the tangible progress that's made with things like Apple Pay being expanded to other countries, Apple Music, Apple Maps, at least in the U.S., where I think 
Apple's goal is to begin to expand that improvement to other countries. I think we have to recognize those improvements. We have to recognize how Apple is seeing some success in integrating services like Apple Music more closely with its products. I think that's a, a good sign for the future. I don't think, though, we can go really higher than a B, just because there are still so many issues. The last category that I graded is financial strategy. I really don't think there were too many negatives here in 2017. Apple continues to generate more cash than it needs to fund the business. So when you look at how much cash Apple spent on share buyback and quarterly cash dividends in fiscal year 2017, that amount was equal to about 90% of Apple's free cash flow generation. And free cash flow, as a reminder, is a measure of the amount of cash that's left over after Apple has already funded the business. So it's excess cash. Not bad. I, I think that is the right strategy here. I'm sure people can disagree with me, but I think overall, Luca is, is doing a good job there. Even after taking into consideration the capital management activity, Apple's net cash remained around $150 billion. Apple spent approximately $700 million on announced M&A during the year. More than half of that was attributed to the recently announced Shazam acquisition. Then we have pricing. I think Apple's pricing strategy is very intriguing. Many of Apple's newest products, such as Apple Watch, wireless AirPods, they're underpriced versus the competition. Even iPhone 10, at just under $1,000 in the US, I don't think that's priced outlandishly when you compare it to competing premium flagship offerings that just don't have as much features, that just don't have as good of an experience. When it comes to average selling price and margin trends, things look pretty good. Exhibit 4 in this week's Above Avalon article took a look at iPhone and iPad average selling price. And what you'll see is with iPhone, average selling price is inching higher. With iPad, it's remaining steady. And that's pretty remarkable when you consider how Apple has been cutting entry-level pricing for iPhone and iPad. How is this possible? What's happening? Well, Apple is increasing both iPhone and iPad pricing at the high end. And so you sort of have this offsetting factor taking place. Overall margin trends were benign because those higher price SKUs think they contain a higher margin. So they're offsetting the lower margin SKUs at the opposite end of the pricing spectrum. In addition, I do think higher margin Apple services revenue is likely offsetting what could be some minor margin pressure with Apple's other product categories. So overall, for financial strategy, I gave Apple an A plus for its performance in 2017. We then have other, and this is highlights during the year that I don't think fit into any of the preceding categories. We had Apple holding a successful WWDC at San Jose. We had Steve Jobs Theater, Apple Park, Grand Opening. We have Wall Street embracing a new approach to Apple. I think the focus is increasingly being aimed at Apple's balance sheet and excess cash not iPhone sales. Read every article that's being written about Apple business. I think they got it wrong. They keep saying, oh, the, the, the stock is where it is because people are so excited about iPhone sales. I don't really think so. We have Apple beginning to ramp 
its original video programming effort in a very big way. Apple is basically building its Apple Studios division. And we have Apple continuing to place a very big bet on hardware, which amounts to owning the core technologies powering its devices. That was, of course, the topic for episode 115, betting on hardware. When it comes to the final grade for Apple's performance in 2017, I think Apple had a good year. Taking an equally weighted average of the grades from the preceding seven categories that we discussed, Apple earned an A- minus for its 2017 performance. iPad, A, Apple Watch, A+, iPhone, B+, Mac, C+, accessories, A-, services, B-, and financial strategy, A+. Now, if you take a look at that in a little bit different way and you give additional weight to, say, iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, and services, Apple would have still earned an A-. So what that tells you is that Apple's lowest grades were in what I would view as the least important or maybe less important product categories. Much attention in 2017 was given to Apple's various software bugs, product delays, and various mishaps. We talked about this in the past, in which if you're a leader, you get more attention, you get more criticism, you have the bullseye on your back. That's a byproduct of being a leader. Apple has to accept that. In addition, there was an increasing amount of skepticism facing Apple in 2017. In terms of its approach to voice-first interfaces, the smart home, this broader post-device narrative. However, when you go through Apple's business like we just did, category by category, I think Apple made genuine strides in a significant part of its product line. The company's broader bet on hardware, I think, is providing a sneak peek at how it's viewing the future differently than a lot of other companies. One way of thinking about this is a lot of people, they want Apple to play another company's game. In reality, Apple doesn't do that. In reality, Apple has been very good and is striving to come up with its own game. And I think that really does a good job of explaining how, on one hand, you have so many people who seem to be skeptical about Apple's performance in 2017, whereas on the other hand, I think... Apple did a lot of what they had to do to set up for a pretty decent year in 2018 to give itself a better chance of remaining relevant in the future. Apple's growing momentum with wearables, I think it bodes very well for near-term prospects. And I think we're going to begin to see pretty shortly that Apple and wearables, it's not just about computing on the wrists. It's not just about computers in the ears. You're going to talk about you're going to see Apple wearables begin to impact other industries and other product categories. I think it's bound to happen. Now, one missing piece to Apple's report card ends up being a crucial ingredient for future report cards, and that's Apple R&D. A sizable portion of Apple's attention during any given year is dedicated to unannounced products. From our perspective, it's difficult to assess the progress Apple is making with R&D. The company has a very strict stance on secrecy. They feel very strongly on keeping ideas hidden until they are ready for prime time. But one way we can judge Apple's R&D progress is to look at M&A. So along those lines, 
I think Apple Glasses, some type of wearable device for the face, I continue to think it's a high priority for Apple based on a couple companies that Apple bought in 2017. You then have Apple's transportation ambitions. They're still there. <laughs> they haven't gone away. There are various clues pointing to the company expanding its interest in self-driving cars. An interesting exercise to conclude Apple's annual review involves thinking of how 2017 will be viewed in a few years. I continue to think that Apple finds itself in the early stages of the wearables era. With Apple Glass's position as the most likely new product category for Apple, I think HomePod is more of a music accessory. 2017 will likely be looked back at as just another year in the run-up to Apple having a full-fledged line of wearables products. Meanwhile, you have transportation initiatives continuing to represent a long-term focus for the company. That's going to do it for today's episode. It looks like the mango tea worked. <laughs> My voice lasted, and I do feel a little bit better. If you enjoyed this podcast episode and you like the Above Avalon podcast, if you could do me a favor and leave a very quick rating or review in Apple's podcast app, I would greatly appreciate it. That does help spread the word of mouth a little bit. Also, thank you to those who share these episodes and let others know about the Above Avalon podcast. If you enjoy the analysis that's found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, and you want more of my analysis and perspective about Apple throughout the week, I do offer an exclusive daily email all about Apple. One way to think about it is these podcast episodes and the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com cover one topic per week. I then talk about an additional 10 to 12 topics in these daily emails. Story topics can include everything from strategy and business analysis to financial modeling, my estimates. We also go over my perspective and observations on the current news cycle, what competitors are up to, and of course, we go over in detail Apple's earnings, all of Apple's presentations, keynotes, and events. To receive this exclusive daily email that's sent throughout the week, all you have to do is become an Above Avalon member. These emails are the cornerstone of membership. Additional features include access to an archive. There's a Slack team where you can chat with other Above Avalon members. You also get priority email access. You get the weekly article delivered via email. Apparently, a lot of people like that. <laughs> um, this is only available to Above Avalon members. And of course, you will be supporting Above Avalon. Members play an active role in supporting Above Avalon as an independent source of Apple analysis. Above Avalon is 100% supported by its members. To become an Above Avalon member, head on over to AboveAvalon.com. Go to the membership page. Sign up is very simple. It's either $10 per month or $100 per year. With that, I will conclude today's episode. Here's to a great 2018. I have a feeling it's going to be a very busy year. I'll talk to you all later.